tonight we're going to continue in our series. Uh, we entitled it Equipped, which is the armor of God. And the scripture that we're using is in Ephesians chapter 6, familiar scripture starting from verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. Having done all that to stand, it says, that, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful uh, to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So we're talking about the armor of God. And as we look at the armor of God uh, here in Ephesians chapter 6, what it is is teaching us about the reality of a spiritual battle, that we are at war with the enemy of our soul, which is the devil. Paul tells us that we are in a battle, we are in a war against the enemy. And as, you know, and as people of God, we're not fighting against one another. It talks about not fighting against flesh and blood. But it's talking about fighting about evil rulers of the unseen world. Satanic beings, evil princes of darkness who try to rule this world and against wicked spirits in the spirit world. And in this spiritual battle, Paul tells us to stand against the wiles of the, get, the, the enemy. Basically, his strategies, his schemes, his tricks, which try to persuade us to do something that leads us away from God. He wants to destroy the very creation of God because he hates God. And he wants to destroy God's creation. This is why Paul says, put on that armor, because you are in a battle, you are in a fight. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaking here, in verse 3, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. He says, You therefore, uh, therefore endure hardship as a good soldier. He said, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul is telling us that we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. In this spiritual battle, we are soldiers. We are called. He's enlisted us to be soldiers in this battle. But in this spiritual battle, we are not unarmed. God provides us protection, which is the armor of God. And each piece of the armor has an important purpose. And we're going to go through it throughout this month. And its purpose is to defend against the temptation, to stand against the wiles, the strategies again, the schemes, the tricks of the evil one. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Put on every part because every part is important. I was watching uh, the football game this Saturday. It was the Ravens against the Steelers. And pretty much the last game, all those teams that were making the playoffs, none of them started their starters. They, they basically put all their, their, their second string, third string players in. And the Baltimore Ravens, basically, they were the number one seed. So they, they rested their quarterback. And what they did is they put in their second string quarterback. So as I was watching, as they were coming out of halftime, you see him on the sidelines there, and he doesn't have his helmet on. And he's looking around, and all of a sudden you see one of the, one of the, one of the probably like the ball boy, come running from the sidelines with his helmet in his hand, like, here it is, here it is. And it's like, I'm thinking, man, what is he going to do, go out in the field without his helmet? He's going to go out there, and he's going to get killed out there with no helmet. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. 
Because every piece is so important. See, in this battle, we're not supposed to turn and run. We're not supposed to retreat. But he tells us, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He tells us to withstand, to stand your ground and fight against the enemy. Charles Spurgeon had this quote talking about battle, talking about the armor of God. And he says, do you think of turning back? Basically, he's asking the question, are you thinking of retreating? Are you thinking of running away? He says, think about this. You have no armor for your back. If you look at all the pieces of the armor, there's nothing on the back. He says, for us to cease to fight, to basically run away, it is for us to be overcome. When we become, to, to run away and, and just flee the battle, he says, we can become overcome. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. He says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. He who overcomes the world, but he who believes in the Son of God. See, we believed, we came to Jesus, we gave our lives to Jesus Christ by faith. And now we are able to overcome the strategies of the enemy. See, when we flee, when we run, Spurgeon said that we may be overcome, but when we stand in full on the full armor of God and every piece of the armor, says we are overcomers because of our faith. Pastor Matt preached last week on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Tonight, I want to look at the shield of faith. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, he says, above all, he says, take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Paul's talking about a shield here. In the Roman times, there was two shields. There was one that was used, they basically called it a beauty shield or a parade shield. It was round, it had a hook, and they could hook it on the soldier's belt. But it was small, it was a rounded shield that they would just strap to the forearm. It was, you know, it was just something that, you know, they could move around. It was mobile. It was just, you know, something that wasn't choice to go into battle with. That's why they called it a beauty shield, a, a parade shield. It was made of wicker that was covered with hide. And the shield was basically useless in battle. Because if, when, when the enemy began to sh uh, fire those arrows and fiery arrows, this shield could catch fire and just burn. These shields were a great danger to that soldier. That if he went into the battle, basically he would be probably lost in the battle. This shield was, you know, just basically an oversized medallion. That's why they called it a beauty shield, because, or a parade shield, because what they would do is they would wear it when they were in parades after victory, because they didn't want to take out their battle shield. They would just take out their, 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 their beauty shield because they just looked good. But Paul is writing about a shield that is fit for war or battle. This shield was designed to be linked up with other soldiers. It measured about four and a half feet high and about two and a half feet wide. It was basically shaped like a door. Some say that it, was like, it almost looked like a door. And it was made of wood, and what it had was about six layers of animal hide or leather sewn together, and it became nearly as strong as steel. steel. See, as we talk about our shield of faith, it's our faith that shields our lives. In Hebrews 1, it talks about faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. It's basically being sure of something is going to happen, even though we don't know how it's going to happen. So I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know God is going to get involved, that God is going to move in my life. That is faith, that we believe and trust in God. Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer believe, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That old man, that old woman is dead. We have a new life now that Jesus has given us. And now we live by faith in Jesus Christ. Habakkuk 2.4 tells, tells us that the just shall live by faith. He's telling us the just, the righteous, those who strive to live a life that pleases God, but who, who strive to live right for God, we shall live by faith. See, when we live by faith, what we're doing is we're putting all our confidence and all our trust in God and God alone. So we have faith in God. Got God, my whole trust, my whole faith, my whole, my whole confidence is in you and nothing else. And we believe God for every area of our lives. We're not turning to anything or anybody. Why? Because our faith is completely in God. In David's song in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 36, he says, You have given me your shield of victory. David had the shield of victory. Why? Because David had faith in God. As you read throughout the Psalms, he's always talking about how God was always there for him, how God was always strengthening him, how God was always helping him. He had faith and he had a shield of victory. See, God provides us an armor. Tonight, as we look at the shield of faith, it's going to take true faith in God to surrender our whole life to him. It really is. When we, when we say, you know what, God, I'm going to give my whole life to you. I'm going to surrender my whole life. I'm going to seek you first. It takes faith to do that. We begin to say, God, I'm going to enter into service. I'm going to involve myself in ministry. We are stepping out in faith. We are surrendering. Say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. I have confidence in you that I can do this. When God tells us to forgive and let things go, it takes faith to say, God, I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go, God. My faith, my trust, my confidence is in you. I'm just going to let it go. When we say, you know what, I'm going to live a disciplined life. I'm going to de de develop a disciplined life. I'm going to live right for you, God. It takes faith to do that. They say, God, I'm just going to give my life that I'm just going to live right for you and believe that you're going to help me, that you're going to deliver me. God challenges us to begin to give and invest our finances. It takes faith. But it's true faith that we have, that we believe that, God, you know what? I'm just going to do it by faith. See, and as we choose to live by faith, as we true to tr choose to trust God and put full confidence in him, the enemy's going to oppose us. He's going to begin to shoot those fiery darts at us to bring doubt to bring confusion, to, to try to bring in unbelief and fear. He wants to penetrate our hearts and our minds with his lies to try to take us out of the battle, to get us to turn and run from the battle. See, our faith becomes a shield over our lives. And it's that large battle shield that covers us, that protects us from the assaults of the enemy. See, what the army, Roman army would do is they would incorporate their shield into their battle plans. What they would do is they would get all the shields together and they were all framed like doors and they would put up a wall as they would line up side by side and, 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 and advance their shield and the troops. And behind them would be the, the, the archers, the, the, those with their spears and the other members of the army. But when the shield bearers got to a certain point for the battle, they would plant their shields in the ground. And what it would do is it would provide a wall of protection for that army. And it would provide that army, and as, and as the enemy would come close to them, it says they would begin to advance, and they would continue to move forward and move forward as a giant wall until they were able to defeat their enemy. They were lined up side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing their enemy. If anyone came close, they would take their shield, and they would knock them down and, and, and lose their balance. So this 
shield was not only to defend them, but it was also to be an offense to them, that they would begin to move forward, that they would gain, gain ground against this, their enemy. It gives us a picture of us as an army. As we as the soldiers of God and his army, as we line up together side by side, not with our parade shields, but with our battle shields, what we're doing is we're providing a wall of protection for others to begin to quench those fiery darts of the enemy as they come. And we're also able to move forward as a body of believers by faith to overcome the enemy. See, our sincere faith puts up a wall of protection that benefits others around us. Man, have you ever been around somebody that's so full of faith? I mean, just so much confidence in God. Man, it's just, it's infectious. You ever been around people like that? It's like, man, you know what? God's going to move. God's going to help us. God's going to be with us. God's going to get you through. You know, I, I may be going through, but God, I'm, God is with me. And they're so excited. They're so full of faith that it rubs off on you. It's infectious. What it does, it steers you up. Because people, and that's what it is, is putting up that wall of protection side by side that I have faith, you have faith, we have faith, and we're going to move forward together. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, but now Timothy has returned, bringing us good news of your faith and your love. He reports that you always remember our visits with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in the faith. It gives us new life knowing that you stand firm in the Lord. Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, even though we're going through trials and struggles, he says, we are encouraged. We are motivated. We are stirred up. Why? Because of your strong faith. And it's strengthening us. He says, it's given us new life, seeing that you are standing firm on the Lord. And that's what it is when we stand together by, in faith and we have our shield of faith and we're lining up with that wall of protection. We're stirring up those around us. We're stirring up those that, 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 are, that are coming behind us and they're saying, you know what? We have faith and God can help you too. And it encourages them to say, you know what? You're giving me new life. I can do this because I see the faith that you have. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are ambassadors for Christ. In Matthew, Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, 5, Jesus says that we are the light of the world. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that may, they may see the good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, as ambassadors, as representatives, as lights of the world, people in the world need to see us live a life of faith. That it would motivate them and motivate others to follow Jesus and trust by faith. There's people that aren't saved around us and they just watch us, and they see the life we have, and they see the faith that we have, and the light shines upon them that one day they're going to say, you know what, I want that kind of faith that you have. I'm going through some struggles, some battles. I see some of the things you go through, man, and, and you just stay strong in the Lord. It's that wall of protection that affects those around us. And also that light will shine on our children, and for many of us, our grandchildren also. See, our children, our grandchildren know the real us. They know that person in the car. They know that person at home. But they also know that the, the arrows that have been fired at us. They know that the trials that we've gone through. But they see us fully armed for battle. 
lifting up our faith as a shield and standing against the enemy. Pastor Richard made the comment about kicking the devil in the teeth Sunday morning. And they see how we stand and we seek God and we live by faith. And as they grow older, they will remember how mom and dad, how grandma and grandpa live for God, how they put God first in their lives, how they had incredible faith in every situation. Not just the good times, but when the trials came, how they still kept that faith. They never retreated, but they moved forward for God because their faith was in Jesus. And it encourages our children and our grandchildren to put on their armor, to put God first, knowing that God will never leave them or forsake them. And they can have faith and confidence for their lives. We need to be that example of faith, that we put our shield in side by side and move forward in faith. I want to look at preventative maintenance. It's maintenance to prevent problems, basically. We have preventative maintenance programs at our work. I'm sure many of you do. And the other night, again, we were watching, we watch a lot of football at my house, amen, me and my wife. My wife likes football, thank God. Thank you, Jesus, my wife loves football. So we were watching the, the championship game between Michigan and uh, Washington on, on, uh, on Monday. And I have a group text with my four sons. We, we, we text each other and... Mostly a lot of when sporting events are going on, we're texting back and forth. So during the game, my, my sons are texting me, and she's like, who's that? And I go, well, the boys are, what are they talking about? I'm talking about football. I can't break the code. I can't let you know what we're talking about. I broke the code one time, and man, they didn't let me, they didn't let me live it down. Oh, you told mom. But anyway, she asked me this question. She goes, what got you into sports? Because my boys, they're the same way. We, we love sports. We're into sports. We follow, you know, our different teams. She asked me, what, what got you in sports? What got you really involved in sports? So I thought about it, and I go, growing up, it was my dad and my grandfather. My dad and my grandfather were huge sports fans. Uh, you know, we lived here in Norwalk, and um, it was, for us, it was the Dodgers and the Rams, you know, and, and, and we grew up, you know, following them. And we were just huge sports fans, and I, I was thinking about this, this this morning. It was 1983, my grandfather had a serious, ma massive stroke. He ended up passing away from it. And right before that, a few months before that, uh, the owner of the Chicago Bears, it was 1983, uh, George Hallis passed away. And he was, you know, the owner for the Bears for many, many years. So I'm there, and my grandfather's in intensive care, and, and basically on his deathbed, to be honest. And I go in there, and he's, Bobby, and I go in, and he's, you know, he's whispering to me. And he asked me this question. I'm thinking, okay, Grandpa, you know, give me some good insight. He goes, Bobby, who's the new owner of the Bears? I don't know, Grandpa. That's how much we love sports, amen? That's all he was worried about. Who was the new owner of the Bears? But, you know, as they, we were involved in sports, they got me involved in sports, Italy and all that. My dad and my grandfather, they both coached me in, in, in baseball and sometimes football. And my grandfather gave me his baseball glove. And to this day, I've never seen a glove as nice as this glove my grandfather gave me. It was a McGregor. This is back in the, you know, probably mid-70s. It was a McGregor. It was real leather. But what my grandfather would do is he would take care of that glove. He would take care of that leather. He would oil it up. He would massage it in. He would, you know, he would, you know, break it in. And that glove was in perfect condition. I kid you not, to this day, I've never seen a glove that nice that my grandfather gave me. One day, I had a friend that asked me to borrow that glove. Big mistake. I said, all right. So I let him borrow it. I didn't see him for many, many, many months. 
Finally seen him. He would never go to school, so we, you know. Finally seen him and asked him, so he finally bring it back to me. And that thing must have been left outside all the months. That glove was just ruined. It was dried up. It was cracked. It looked like the dog may have chewed on it. It was worthless. So we talk about preventative maintenance. What a soldier would do, especially a disciplined soldier, they would spend time caring for their battle shield. And understand, that shield was big. It was four and a half feet high, two and a half feet wide. And they would care for their battle shield because it was constructed with six layers of animal hide, which was leather. And what they would do is they would oil it up, they'd work on it, clean on it, massage it, to keep it in excellent condition. Why? So they can be effective in the battle. And what they would do this also is to prevent it from drying or cracking. Because if it dried out or it began to crack, it became flammable and it became ineffective. And when those fiery arrows came, it would catch fire and most likely that soldier would be killed in the battle. But also what it would do, it would leave a gap in their line of defense. It would leave a gap in their line of protection. And the other darts begin to get in and hit those behind where that soldier was. See, as effective soldiers in the army of the Lord, we need to keep our shield of faith in excellent condition. And it starts by having a disciplined prayer life. See, a disciplined prayer life is spending the quality time in fellowship with God. That soldier would spend time working on that shield. He'd spend time making sure it was in excellent condition. And it's the same thing with our prayer life. We need to spend the quality time in fellowship with God. Why? Because that soldier wanted to be effective in battle. That's why he spent the time preparing to be effective in battle, it's going to start in, in prayer. Because that's where we begin to place our faith and our trust and our confidence in God. Because we know God will give us victory in battle. See, prayer gives us strength. In James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, when we're full of faith and have a disciplined prayer life, we find ourselves entering into his presence and getting a hold of him, casting our cares upon him. The Bible says our prayers are effective and powerful. And I'm sure there were those soldiers who were undisciplined. They didn't want to take the time to care for their battle shield. They were basically satisfied with their parade shield, their little beauty shield, because, hey, it looks shiny, it's beautiful. You know, it takes too much time to work on that big, big old, you know, battle shield. Start saying, nah, it's okay. It looks good. You know, I'm tired anyway. I want to take a nap. I'll take the famous words, I'll take care of it tomorrow. And they keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off until that shield began to dry and crack. And that shield became ineffective and it became flammable. And what happens was that soldier would probably end up being killed in the battle. Once again, it leaves a gap in their wall of protection where those fiery darts can get through and hit those around us. Proverbs 19.15 says, Laziness casts one into a deep sleep. An idle person will suffer hunger. We can get the same attitude when it comes to our prayer life. We feel like things are going good. You know, I got the victory. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. I don't have to pray right now. You know, I'm busy. Got all these kids running around the house. My job. I'm tired. I just want to sleep in. I just want to take a nap. I'll make it up tomorrow. We put it off, we put it off, we put it off. There's no making up the time. What it is, is it's 
time that's been lost with God. You used to always see different Christian bumper stickers, and the one used to always say, seven days without prayer makes one week. W-E-A-K. A day without prayer is a day without power. It happens as we begin to function in our own strength. He talked about an idle person who will suffer hunger. A prayerless life leaves us unsatisfied, and we begin to fill it with ungodly things. We begin to fill it because we're not drawing power from God, and and what happens, our soul begins to be hungry, and we begin to fill it with things that are ungodly. See, we need that Holy Ghost power that comes through prayer. See, what happens without a disciplined prayer life? We begin to dry up spiritually. We become ineffective, and what happens is we leave a void in a wall, in our wall of protection, because we're not praying for others. We're not leading others in prayer. Our, field, our shield has dried up and it's cracked. It's become flammable, and we're no longer living a, a life of faith through prayer. We're no longer seeking God. Those fiery darts are coming through, through temptation, and it's taking us out. Colossians 3, it says, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of this earth. We stop praying, our minds are no longer seeking those heavenly things. We start losing faith. The enemy starts firing his darts and is causing us to seek those things here on earth, those worldly things. What happens is we've laid down that battle shield and we're settling for the parade shield because on the outside it looks good, but on the inside we're drying up spiritually. We need to make time for God. We need to discipline ourselves that we can be effective in prayer because there is power in prayer. Jesus said we can have faith that moves mountains. That's why the devil opposes us so much during our prayer time, brings so many distraction because he understands the miracle working power that comes through prayer. To live by faith, we need to have an effective prayer life. Prayer builds our faith. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He talks about praying continually. People say, well, I got to walk around just just praying 24-7, just praying, 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 praying. But it's talking about having a mindset of prayer. And as I was on my way home from work, God just gave me this kind of illustration, this story. I didn't want to share it, but I just felt like God was just share it to help somebody. Because it talks about praying continually. It's having a mindset that, you know, in situations we begin to pray. And I shared back in June, my dad went to go be with the Lord. What happened was uh, I was at work, and I had my phone in my office, and I wasn't in my office. I was in one of the other offices. And my sister was calling me because my dad had just dropped in the front yard. And my sister kept calling me, calling me, but I didn't answer because I didn't see my phone. So when I got to my office, I had a bunch of missed calls from my wife, Tina, here. So I called her back. Hey, what's going on? She goes, it's your dad. He goes, the paramedics are working on him. You need to come home right now. It doesn't look good. All right. So I told my boss I got to go home. I ran, you know, jumped in my truck and drove to my parents' house. My dad ended up passing. But the next day, I was at my mom's house. I was with my sisters. We're just going over, you know, you have to do all the paperwork and all the, you make arrangements and stuff like that. And my sister started telling me 
She goes, you know, I kept trying to call you, and you would answer the phone. She goes, so I called Tina. And we live literally four, four, four blocks from my parents' house. We're like four blocks away. And I told her, you know, what was happening. And she said Tina was there like in two minutes. And she said what happened was, as the paramedics were working on my dad, that Tina jumped off the car and began to pray for my dad, and started praying for my dad. And she was there laying hands on him and praying for him, believing God for him. Then she, my sister said she turned around and she started praying for my mom and my sisters. And she began to just pray and just pray with them. My sister was just like blown away. She was just blown away by that. She says, man, you don't know what that did to us. See, we're going to take some serious blows to our faith. Take some really serious blows. And in that time, it says, pray continually. See, how we respond when we get hit, when, a, when, a, when an arrow penetrates our life, how are we going to respond to that? Are we going to turn and run, seek something else? Or are we going to begin to pray to the Father? I was like, I was blown away when my, when my sister told me that. Without even thinking, Tina just jumped out the car and just started praying, getting a hold of God for my dad, then for my sisters. There was no, no panic, no fear. She just had her faith in God and trusted God. That's why he says, pray continually. Because in situations we go through, we need to be able to pray and not run. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Prayer is vital to our lives. We can't go on without it. It's important because it builds our faith. In addition to caring for their battle shield, a disciplined soldier, as they were preparing for battle and they knew that they were going out into the battle, what they would do is they would begin to soak their shield in water so that when those fiery darts come, it would extinguish them, it would quench them, and their, their, their shield would not catch fire. In Matthew chapter 4, it tells the story how Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says that Jesus was hungry. What happens is the devil starts firing darts at him, begins to start trying to tempt him. In verse 3, he says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand in the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you shall not strike your foot against a stone. And in verse 8 and 9, he, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. All this I give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me, do what I tell you. The devil was firing his flaming arrows at Jesus. But this is what Jesus responded. In verse 4, he says, Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse 7, Jesus answered him again, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Jesus quenched those fiery darts, those arrows that Satan was firing at him with the word of God. Jesus said in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Jesus fired right back with the word of God and it says that the devil left him. See, as those soldiers soaked their shield in water as they were going into battle to you know, protect that shield, we need to soak ourselves with the word of God. We need the word of God in our lives. In Isaiah 55, 10, it says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens 
and stand the ground to water the earth. They caused the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. I will accomplish all I want to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. He's talking about how he uses the illustration of how he sent rain and water that it begins to, to be on the land and produce fruit. It's the same thing with my word, that my word will produce fruit wherever I send it. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take or sit with the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, who meditates on his law day and night. It's getting a hold of God daily in his word. That person is like a tree planted by a stream of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. And again, whatever they do prospers. See, the water on the shield would quench the fiery darts, but water also refreshes. Water causes growth and it produces fruit. And this is exactly what the word of God does for us. It produces fruit in us. It causes us to grow. In, in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all that come to him for, for, for protection. Every word of God is true. And he also is a shield. See, without the word of God in our lives, there is no growth. We begin to start lacking faith when we don't have God's word in our life. We don't know what the promises of God are. We begin to become confused with no direction in our lives, and we begin to believe false teachings. What happens is we become unprepared for the battle, walking around with that parade shield thinking that's enough, while our battle shield just lays there drying up and cracking. And what happens is we begin to become ineffective, and there's that gap in that wall of a protection because we're not helping anyone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready. You weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. There's just no maturity in their lives. In Hebrews 5.12, he says, You have been believers for so long that you ought to be teaching others. You've been serving God for such a long time, but you, 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 by now you should be teaching but instead, you need someone to teach you the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. We need a daily diet of the meat of God's word. It says Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry, but he relied on the word of God, God to quench those arrows, those lies, those temptations of the devil. See, as we seek his word, it prepares us for the battle. We, and we also... We're able to help others also. He says, by now you should be teaching others. Begin to help each other in the word. Help them grow in the word. Help instruct them in the word. In Acts chapter 2, it says that they were meeting daily. They were devoted to the teachings, to the word. They were helping each other. And what happens, they were growing in the faith, and it was bringing increase to the church. Because they were living by faith. They were devoted to the word. And it says that they were growing together. That's why it's so important that we have God's word in our lives because it helps us to grow, but it helps us to help others grow too. And Isaiah 50, 11 says, let the Lord guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever 
flowing spring. God guides us through his word. His word strengthens our faith. Why? To quench the fiery darts of the enemy. The worship team can come up. In Hebrew, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 119, verse 9. It says, how can a young man stay pure? He says, by reading your word and following its rules. I have thought much about your words and stored them in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. It talks about reading and knowing the word of God and keeping that word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against God. Why? So that we could stay in the battle. The old song that I'm going to stay on the battlefield. Why? Because it's God's word that we keep in our heart. It's so important that we have a diet of the word of God. Spurgeon said, if I tell you, I'm sorry, if you tell me when God permits a Christian to lay aside his armor, he says, he's asking, he says, you know, if you're going to ask me when it's okay for, for, for somebody to lay down their armor, he says, I will tell you when Satan stops temptation. We must sleep with it on, for the deceiver will seize our first unguarded hour to make us his prey. Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We are in a spiritual battle, but God provides us with his armor, and that needs to stay on. Every piece, every part of the armor needs to be staying on. Why? So we can stand. Part of that armor is faith, that faith that we use as a shield to quench the lies, the taxes, the temptations of the enemy. Paul used the illustration of, of, you know, of, 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 of different athletes in, in, in battle and warriors. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why? Because Paul had the whole armor. He lifted up his shield of faith. He fought the good fight. He finished his race. Why? Because he kept the faith. If we're going to finish our race, we got to keep the faith. we got to keep that armor, the full armor, and lift up that shield of faith. Romans 8, 37, in all things, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. We do have the victory, church. The battle is won through Jesus Christ. Take up your shield of faith and keep moving forward for God. But as you move forward to God, bring others along with you. As we stand side by side with the wall of protection, protecting those behind us, we continue to just move forward and gain ground and gain ground, and we bring others along with us so that we can have victory as a church. It's going to take people of God who carry, who have their full armor on and also have on that shield. Tonight, why don't we stand tonight?